Oh, well, hey, Vail Church, how we doing? All right, all right. Well, hey, my name is Corey. I've got the privilege of serving on staff here as one of the pastors. It is good to see all you guys in the room. And if you've been here before, you know the deal. If you can help welcome those joining us online. We've got Alabama, Florida, Kansas, Louisiana, Washington, Mississippi, all across Illinois. It's good to have you guys with us. Good to have you here in the room. Now, I think you'll agree with me that some people just like a good party. Whether it's birthday parties or an anniversary party or I made it through another week of work party, like whatever it is, we like to celebrate stuff. Where are my party people at? Give me a woo. Okay, okay, cool. Man, like the excitement, the energy, the people, you are all about that kind of stuff. Whether it's getting together with your friends for a big celebration or getting all dressed up for a night out, like whatever it looks like. Maybe you're on the other side of it. Maybe you like the party planning and you are all about getting the details just right so that you can help create a great environment for other people. Or you're the kind of person that just like is up for whatever and just go wherever the night takes us and let's just see what happens. We like a good party. Some of you even just talking about this and thinking about it gets you kind of pumped up. And you may think that I'm right there with you. I'm all about the fun and the excitement and the energy and the people. Nope, that is not me. I am not about that. See, here's the thing. The idea of a party, it doesn't get me excited. It gets me anxious. Like for me, whenever, whenever that happens, I, I just, ah, uh, I don't like it. And maybe some of you can connect with me here. This is where my introvert side kicks in high gear. Because when I get invited to a party or a gathering or whatever, my first response is to ask a lot of questions, either out loud or internally. Well, well who's coming? Who's gonna be there? What are we gonna do? How long is it gonna last? Do I need to bring anything? How can I get out of this? Like that is just, going to a party is a lot of mental work and prep for a person person like me. And I've always been like this. I've never been a big party person. It's just not my jam. I don't like going to them. I don't like parties that are about me. I think I went to one party in high school that was not my scene in college. And it's just, even as a kid, I never wanted a huge birthday party. I didn't want a big deal. I just wanted my presence and the food. And that's, it's the same today. Like my wife asks me every year, what do you want to do for your birthday? And the answer is always the same. I want to buy a nice big steak. I want to cook it at home and I want to eat it after the kids go to bed. Like that's just what I want. It's my birthday, okay? Like I've never been a party person, but you want to know something crazy and this completely does not make sense. And I know that even though parties aren't my thing, I still like being invited like, that's weird, right? Like, even though parties aren't my thing, I still like being invited. Now, I think the reason is, is that when I know that happens, it makes me realize that I was at least thought about. And that can be a big thing because there's always these thoughts that roll around in my mind when I know something is happening and I wasn't invited. Well, do they not like me? Did I do something wrong? Or are they not even thinking about me? What am I missing out on? How can I get invited next time? And, and maybe that's just me and maybe that's some insecurities, but that's what happens in this brain of mine. There's always this battle taking place because I don't want to get overwhelmed. I don't want to get anxious, but I also don't want to miss out. And I think that's kind of the view a lot of people can have about following Jesus. Because whenever somebody gets invited to church, the, the same kind of questions can pop up in their minds. Well, well who's going to be there? 
what, what, all, what all happens? What, what do I do? What do I wear? Am I gonna have to talk to anybody? Is the pastor gonna call on me and have me stand up and share my story with everybody that's there? Like what happens? Am I really invited and welcomed? See, it's the same kind of questions and hesitations, the doubts and the insecurities and those things can all go crazy in our minds if we let them. But following Jesus doesn't have to be this anxiety inducing decision. There's a lot of aspects of following Jesus that that may seem like some kind of party and it can be, but I gotta tell you, it's different than any other kind of party you may ever see. And what you need to know is that when it comes to following Jesus, you are invited. When it comes to following Jesus, everyone is invited to the party and things are just getting started. So over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at what happened in the days following Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. And we've specifically talked about two of Jesus' disciples, Thomas and Peter. And we looked at what their response and their reaction was after Jesus died and was buried and even after he came back. And we've seen how it was kind of similar to what some of our views and reactions to Jesus can be like today. So if you remember, Thomas was the one that who, man, when Jesus came back from the dead, like he said he would, Thomas's response was, I'm not buying it. No, I'm not buying it. I'm not gonna believe it until I can see the holes in his hands. I've got some doubts. And Peter after he denied Jesus three times, which Jesus said he would do, and then Jesus is killed, Peter goes back to the life he used to live. Whether it was because he felt like maybe he let Jesus down or maybe Jesus let him down or a mixture of both, he went back to fishing. He went back to doing what he knew how to do when he felt that disappointment. When it seemed like the party was over, he went back to, I guess this is just my life now. For the three years that Jesus did ministry here on earth, all of the factors of a good party were there because wherever Jesus went, there was excitement and there was energy and there was joy. There were all these things that we think a good party needs and wherever Jesus went, it seemed like it just kept getting bigger because people kept talking about all the news, all the updates, and they just kept sharing everything that they had seen and heard and experienced. And more and more people kept hyping up this new movement, talking about all the things that were happening around this man. And there was this growing mind mindset and feeling that if you didn't get around this man named Jesus, you were going to miss out on something. But like any good thing, there were people on the outside casting negativity. Then there were people who, who felt excluded, who felt like they were not on the invite list. And so after attempt, after attempt to get Jesus canceled and shut down and silenced, the religious leaders are successful and it ends in Jesus's death. And for many people, mainly those who have been following Jesus, his disciples and the people in the crowds, it seems like it's all over. Because after Jesus' death, the excitement and the energy, it's all gone. Excitement has been replaced with fear, joy with sadness, hopes with doubts. Because with Jesus gone, all the momentum that had been building, it is lost. We know that the disciples, when Jesus is killed, they run and they go into hiding. Jesus' followers in the crowds, they all disperse and they all go back home. This wasn't how things were supposed to go. It wasn't supposed to be like this. Jesus was supposed to be the one. He was supposed to make things happen. What do we do now? The party's over. But what they didn't know in the moment was that things were just getting started. And that's what we're gonna talk about today. 
Now in Jewish culture, they celebrated several festivals throughout the year and each festival had a purpose and a point. They all had meaning to it. And for many of these festivals, what would happen is people living in different places, they would all travel to the city of Jerusalem to gather together for these events. And one of the main festivals that we're most familiar with today is the festival of Passover. And what Passover was, was when the Jewish people would remember how God delivered them out of slavery in Egypt generations ago. And it was during that time that God showed incredible power through sending these plagues on the Egyptian leaders and their people so that they would set the Israelites free. And the last plague was the death of not just every firstborn child, but every firstborn everything. And so that's the last plague that God sends, but through his grace and his mercy, God told his people, the Israelites, the Jews, to take the blood of a lamb and put it on their doorpost so that when the angel of death came through, he would see the blood and would pass over their house, leaving everyone inside alive. And so this remembering and the celebration of Passover, it was a big deal. Remembering how the blood of a lamb saved the people from God's judgment and death. And the reason that this is interesting is because it was during this festival of Passover that Jesus, the lamb of God, was killed, spilling his blood so that we could be saved from God's judgment. But in the moment, in the realness of the situation, the people back then, they they didn't know what we know now. And it's not that they didn't know, they didn't believe what was going to happen. Because you see, Jesus had told them multiple times how things were going to go. And again, when Jesus is killed, the disciples, they go into hiding. Even though Jesus had told them that he was going to be killed and then he was going to return through the resurrection, the grief and the disappointment in the moment, it was too much. They they can't believe that this is really happening. How could this be happening? But then a few of the women who had been following Jesus, they go to visit his tomb only to find it empty. He's not there. What is there is an angel that tells them that Jesus is no longer dead. He is risen. He is alive, just like he said he was going to do. He's no longer dead. He is back alive. And so the women, they run back to the disciples to share this incredible news with them. And when they get over the shock and the doubts and Jesus actually appears and shows himself to them, the disciples are back to being all in. Man, the party is back on. Let's go because the disciples think now things are gonna happen. Jesus is back. And so now all the prophecies that we've heard, all the predictions that have been made for generations, are finally going to take place. All the things that they've been hoping for and putting their trust in and waiting for is now gonna happen because Jesus is going to act and he is gonna set up the new kingdom. And so they keep asking him, hey, Jesus, are are you gonna do it now? Is now the time? Is now the time you're gonna set up the new kingdom? And Jesus is going to act, just not in the way that they thought or were expecting. You ever waited for a long time for something only to have it not turn out the way that you hoped it would? Like maybe you waited for a big movie release that you were excited about or a new show, the next season's coming out you've been waiting for, or maybe there was a specific trip that you were anticipating for so long. Maybe you were waiting for a relationship to happen or a certain job to happen or something else and either it didn't live up to the hype or you set your expectations so high that when it didn't match up, you felt a huge disappointment that let down settled in your heart. 
See, that's kind of the space that these people were in. You see, the disciples and everyone else that had been following Jesus, they were expecting a military-style overthrow. They were hoping for a political uprising. They were waiting for Jesus to rise up and kick out the Romans as he assumes power in setting up the new kingdom for Israel. This is why they're so persistent in asking, are you gonna do it now? Is now the time? Is it, is it time for this now? But Jesus responds in a different way. In Acts chapter one, starting in verse six, says, so when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? They're asking, hey, are, are you going to make things right? Are you gonna put things the way that they are supposed to be? But he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. And so once again, the disciples are asking, are you gonna do it now? Is now the time for the new kingdom? And Jesus says, that's not for you to know. And this has gotta be deflating for the, for the disciples because they've been waiting. They've been hoping for things to happen in this way and at this time. And Jesus basically just told them, that's on a need to know basis. And right now you don't need to know. Now as a person who likes to know the details, I gotta be honest with you this would tick me off. Like, this is where my sense of entitlement would come in hard. Look here, Jesus. I don't know if you remember or not, but I left everything to follow you. I left my job. I left my home. I left my friends and family. I've got friends and family that don't even talk to me anymore. And then you went and got yourself killed and you left us. Now, I know you're back from the dead and everything, and that's great, but come on, man, you owe me something. Here's the thing, though. Jesus didn't owe anything to anyone. He didn't owe answers. He didn't owe an explanation. He didn't need to give any defense for anything. But as we saw through his life, and especially through his dying on the cross for the sins of other people, Jesus is full of grace and mercy and even though he told the disciples that it wasn't for them to know when the new kingdom was going to be set up, he did tell them what was gonna come next. And so in Acts chapter one, verse eight, he says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in all Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. So what Jesus has just done, he's told the disciples that even though the new kingdom isn't gonna happen just now in the way that you thought and hoped it would be, they will be receiving power from God and they will be witnesses of everything Jesus has done to the ends of the earth. And if we were to look back just a few verses before this happens in Acts, Jesus promised them that they would be filled with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In other words, he tells the disciples, look, we're just getting started. And after Jesus says these things, he ascends back into heaven. He's fulfilled his earthly mission. And this is Jesus' final act of ministry before the second coming. And it would be very easy to look at this moment and go, well, he's leaving again. What's the deal? He shows back up, he gives us this big pep talk, and then he goes again, like, what is happening? But even though Jesus has returned to heaven, he set the disciples up for something incredible. The start of the Holy Spirit era. 
Now, like we said earlier, the Jewish people, they've got many festivals that they observed. And a lot of these were very party-like events. They were celebrations. And so Passover happened. The people came to Jerusalem for the celebration and then they went back home. But 50 days after Passover was the next celebration called Pentecost or the festival of weeks. And so people are back in the city for the next party. Remember, every festival had a purpose to it. The purpose of Passover was remembering God's deliverance out of slavery. The purpose of Pentecost was to thank God for all the gifts that he has given to us. And while Pentecost was a recurring celebration, this one was about to be different because this day of Pentecost is when God decides to send one of the greatest gifts ever, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in Acts chapter two, starting in verse one, it says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together. This is talking about the believers. They were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. I want to focus on this moment for a bit because this is a major event in the history of Christianity. See, when it comes to our faith, history can be viewed in two parts. We've got creation to Pentecost and then Pentecost to today. So all of history can be viewed through the lens of these two sections. We've got from the moment that God created everything up until this day of Pentecost, what we just read in the book of Acts. And then we've got from that day of Pentecost to our present day. And here's the reason why this is important. You see, creation to Pentecost was God with his people. Pentecost to today is God in his people. See, from this moment on, the Holy Spirit has come to live in us, to, to not just be God with us, but to be God in us. And I think it's important to pay attention to the timing of this because it was no coincidence that God chose this time during this festival to send the Holy Spirit in the way that he did. Remember, during Pentecost, the people have come back to the city to celebrate. There is a crowd, the party is going on. And so God shows up and makes some noise, literally. You see, we've seen the Holy Spirit move before, but it's always been in quiet ways. It tells us that the Spirit would speak in whispers. But this time, when God sends the Holy Spirit, he sends it with the sound of a mighty wind. And this sending of the Holy Spirit fulfills the promises that Jesus made in Acts chapter one and in Matthew chapter three, but also the promises made by the prophet Joel hundreds of years before this moment. In Joel chapter two, verse 28, it says, and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. So even hundreds of years before this day of Pentecost, God told his people what he was going to do. Now the Holy Spirit didn't just show up for the first time in this moment. The Holy Spirit has been active from all the way back in Genesis chapter one. And in Genesis chapter one, verse two, it says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And so the Holy Spirit has been active from the beginning. What's happening now is the Holy Spirit is showing up in a new and more powerful way. 
See, with God sending the Holy Spirit to be in us, this is now God's presence and power within believers until Christ's return. And this is a big deal because this is where you and I are both invited to have the Holy Spirit, to have the power of God in our lives. And we'll talk about that in a little bit, but how did this play out in the moment? If Jesus set this moment up as just the beginning of what God was going to do, what went on? How did this go down? So the day of Pentecost tells us that God visited his people with this crazy show of power and put his presence there. And this time there were 120 believers in this room and it tells us the spirit entered and filled every one of them. Now we also believe that this room was close to the temple in Jerusalem where the crowds would be gathered for all of the festivities. And so when this loud sound happens, this mighty wind comes rushing through, people would have noticed. They would have heard this sound. They would have had an idea of where it was happening. This was an invitation from God for them to come and investigate to see what he was doing. And the story picks up in Acts chapter two, verse five and following. It says, now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? We hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. I mean, what an incredible moment this is. God fills his people with the Holy Spirit and they immediately start proclaiming the mighty works that God has done. And not just in Hebrew and Greek, the common languages, but in every language known by all the nations represented by people in the crowd. Because people from every nation are present for this festival. And it says that they each are hearing the message of God in their own language and tongues. Now, if you've been around church for a little while, especially if you've checked out some different denominations and stuff, you you may have something going off in your head like, hold on, I may have a little thing here. This speaking in tongues that we're reading about, this is the moment in scripture that many people will point to saying that speaking in tongues, speaking in an unknown language is something that is encouraged or even necessary as evidence of the Holy Spirit's presence in a person's life. That's not what is happening here. The word tongues in this text is also translated as languages. And what is so important to notice is that the miracle here is is that these people started speaking in languages that were not known to them, but they were known to other people. So there's no, no mysterious language here. There's no need for translators or interpreters. The miracle here is that these are ordinary people with no formal training. They are all from generally the same geographic area. There is no way that they would know these languages that they started speaking. That is the miracle and that is the power of the Holy Spirit. So God equips his people in this moment to spread the gospel message to all people in all places, fulfilling what Jesus said, that they would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. But this is the beginning and it's just getting started. The crowds gather and they're hearing the good news of God in their own languages. This is when the apostle Peter steps up to address the crowds. 
And he begins what we now know as Peter's famous sermon on this day. He begins with this quote from the prophet Joel that we already looked at. And the reason he starts with this is because the people in the crowd would know this prophecy because they have been hoping and waiting for this day and for this moment for a long time. The prophecy that God was gonna pour out his spirit on all people, they have been waiting for this. And by quoting this, what Peter is showing is that this prophecy has just been fulfilled. It's been completed. Joel's prophecy that God would pour out his spirit on all people is what has just happened on this day of Pentecost. Now, Peter's sermon is found in Acts chapter two, verses 14 through 36. And we don't have time to look at the entire thing today, but there's a few points in there that I think we really need to highlight because Peter shows the need for God's grace and forgiveness, not just in the lives of the people in that crowd, but in the lives of every person from that day on. So in Acts chapter two, verse 21, he says, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So Peter is actually concluding the quotation from Joel here. And what he does is he shares the truth that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will experience salvation. It says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And what that meant was that no matter who you were, no matter where you were from, no matter what you looked like, no matter what your history was, no matter what your current situation was, anyone who called on the name of the Lord would be saved. And that invitation was open to anyone in that crowd. Remember the people in Peter's crowd, they were from all over the place and came from all walks of life. And just like the invitation was for everyone back then, it is still for everyone today, for you, for me, for everyone. And Peter goes on and he starts to talk about the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. Picking up in verse 32, says, this Jesus God raised up and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Peter says it's all because Jesus has been raised from the dead and is now seated at the right hand of God the Father that this gift of the Holy Spirit is now possible. And that's the explanation. That's the reasoning for everything that is going on around us right now. And then Peter starts to wrap up. In verse 36, it says, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And there is the crushing truth. So Peter very boldly and he very bluntly tells the people, this Jesus that has done all of these things, this Jesus that is both our Lord and Savior, the one that we've been waiting for for generations, you killed him. Remember, these people who are in this crowd in Acts, they were in another crowd just a few weeks ago. See, in this moment, they're celebrating the Pentecost festival, thanking God for all of his gifts. But just 50 days ago, they were in the crowd at Passover calling for the crucifixion of Jesus. Right now, these people are in the middle of a hangover and they don't even know it. They are in the hangover of sin. It, it, the last party they were at, they were jeering, they were mocking, they were crying out for Jesus' death. And now at this party, they are lost and they are hurting because they realize what they have done. 
says that when they hear the apostle Peter's message, they were cut to the heart and they responded by asking a question. What do we do now? And that's the question that you and I need to ask as well. Because the truth of it is, is we were right there in the crowd with them. Now, physically, we, we weren't there and we weren't yelling out for Jesus to be killed, but spiritually, we are just as guilty because it wasn't just the sin of the people in that crowd that put Jesus on the cross. It was our sin as well. When Jesus gave up his life on the cross, he died to atone for the sins of all mankind forever. He went to the cross knowing the sin that would be in our lives today. He knew the desires and the struggles that we would have, but because his love for us was and is so great, he still chose to experience death so that we could experience life. But how? When the people heard Peter's message, they asked, well, what what do we do now? And that's the same question we've got to ask when we realize it was our sin that put Jesus on the cross. So they asked, what do we do now? And Peter responds in Acts 2.38, says, and Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The people are cut to the heart. They don't know what to do. They ask the question, what do we do now? And Peter responds, repent. Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Now that word repent, it simply means to turn and run in the other direction. And so when it comes to our relationship with God, whatever stage we're at, when it comes to repenting, what that means is for us to change our attitude, our actions, our thoughts, our behaviors from living life focused on self to living life focused on God. That is what God was inviting the people into in that moment. God sent his Holy Spirit to fill his people. The crowds came to check it out. Peter preached the Holy Spirit moves and it tells us that that day 3,000 people repented and were saved. Praise God for that. See, what's happened is that this thing that people have been waiting for, this movement from God that they've been waiting for has now arrived. The Holy Spirit is now living and active within them. And what we see happen is that the church is born. It was the dawn of a new era in God's redeeming plan, and it was just getting started. In the next two years, followers of Jesus filled Jerusalem. Within 20 years, the gospel messages spread throughout the entire Roman Empire, and it was just getting started because you and I are invited to keep it going. You and I are now invited to be a part of all that God is doing and is going to do. Because of what happened on that day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is now in all people who believe in Jesus. And because of that, we are included in the message and the mission given to the apostles to take the message of God to the ends of the earth. You see, Jesus, who gave his life for us has now given his spirit to us. We believe that the Holy Spirit is in anyone who believes in Christ. That when we accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit comes to live in us. And here's why that's important. So whenever we confess and we believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, that should be accompanied by a heart change within us. Our desires should shift from living life the way we want to to living life the way God wants to. And I wanna be completely honest with you right now. That is a hard thing to do. 
But when we've got the Holy Spirit in us, the Spirit helps guide and direct us to focusing on God. And when the Holy Spirit is at work in us, he will work through us for kingdom purposes. And God, through the Holy Spirit, will continue to spread his message to the ends of the earth through how we live out our lives. He will direct our interactions with our coworkers. He will, he will inspire our conversations with our friends and our families and with anyone else who does not yet know Jesus. The same Holy Spirit that was at work back then is still at work in us today when we believe. And when it comes to reaching the people around us for Jesus, we're just getting started and you're invited. You are invited to be a part of what God is doing. Now, I know that there are people here in the room, there's people online that you, you still got some doubts. You, you may feel unprepared or, or not ready. Maybe you feel like you've just done too much bad stuff in your life or that you're not worthy of the invite or that you just don't belong. And even if you feel like any of those things are true, and you are still invited to be a part of God's family and to be a part of all that he is doing. And God is ready to use us and to use his church to do incredible things, things that we can't even imagine. But it's only when we have the Holy Spirit in us that God can do great things through us. And so how do you receive the Holy Spirit? Acts 2.38 says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. You don't have to experience this mighty rushing wind. You don't have to have tongues of fire falling on you. You don't have to speak in another language or anything like that. God promises that when we repent and believe that we will receive the Holy Spirit. And when those things are a part of our lives, we respond in obedience by taking the first step in our relationship with him of being baptized. Not because it has any play on our salvation, but when we go public with our faith and our obedience through baptism, it shows people what team we are on and it shows people that we've got God in our lives and it opens the door for God to do incredible things that we could never do on our own. And when we've got the Holy Spirit living in us, the work of God in our lives and the lives of those around us is just getting started. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, For some of you today, God might be leading you into that moment where it's time to, to take that step. It's time for the first time to start relying on God and not rely on yourselves. Maybe God's leading you today into that moment where you, you're tired of doing things on your own. You're tired of trying to figure out how to do, do life your way and it's just not working. And today God may be leading you into that moment where it's time to confess, repent and believe that God is there, that he is at work and he is gonna do great things in you and through you. And if that's where you are today, it's simple to take that step. Romans 10, nine says that when we confess with our mouths, we believe in our hearts that Jesus is Lord. We believe that in that moment you are saved. And so if that is the step, step God is taking you to today, man, we wanna partner with you in that. Maybe you've made that confession before, but you haven't taken that step of obedience and being baptized. Maybe it's time that, that you need to go public with your faith. God's leading you to that moment where he's saying, hey, well, let's go to the next level and let's show people what God is really all about. So if that's the step you're ready for today, I wanna challenge you to be obedient in that. But maybe you've done all that stuff before and you're still not really feeling a difference in your life. The, the, you're not feeling the spirit move. You're not feeling how things are any different. Maybe today's the day where you ask God to do a work that only he can do and to change your heart and change how you're living through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
So whatever your step is, we want to partner with you in that. And God is ready and he is there and he is ready to move like he's never moved before in your life. And so God, today, I want to thank you for those who are making the first step of confessing and repenting and believing that you are God. I wanna pray that you give them the strength and the courage as they take the step of relying not on themselves, but relying on you and trusting you to do what you say you're gonna do. God, for those who have made that confession before, but, but are, are waiting to take that step of obedience and baptism, I pray you would give them courage to go public with their faith so that we can see how you work through that and inspire other people. And God, for those of us who are on a, a daily struggle, to continue focusing on the right things. God, I pray that you would give us the strength to keep you at the front of our minds. I pray that the spirit would work in our hearts like only you can and that you would give us the strength, the courage, the dedication to live our lives for you and trust that you are gonna work in incredible ways that we can't even imagine. God, whatever our next step is, at the end of the day, I pray that you bring us closer to you, that you help us to trust in you more, that you help us to represent you more. God, we thank you for being a God that is always by our side, that is always with us, whatever step we have to take. And God, I thank you for being a God that is filled with grace and mercy and pours your love out on us continuously. God, we thank you for all of these things. It's in your name that we pray, amen. We hope this message challenged you, encouraged you, and most of all, brought you closer to a loving God who wants nothing but the best for you. If you have any questions about taking next steps in your faith journey, simply text NEXT to 309-777-0677. Everyone has a next step, and here at Vail, we would love to walk alongside you. If this message was impactful to you, we encourage you to share it. To stay connected to everything Vail Church, feel free to subscribe. Visit our website at vail.church and follow our socials on Instagram and Facebook. Lastly, for all of those who call Vail Church home, let's remember, worship faithfully, connect intentionally, give generously, and serve sacrificially. We'll see you next week.